Hello everyone, my name is Katie Monsoor. It's so great to be joining you today from my home. We're continuing our reading in Micah 3. And I said, Hear you heads of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel. Is it not for you to know justice? You who hate the good and love the evil, who tear the skin from off my people and their flesh from off their bones, who eat the flesh of my people and flay their skin from off them and break their bones in pieces and chop them up like meat in a pot, like flesh in a cauldron. Then they will cry to the Lord, but he will not answer them. He will hide his face from them at that time because they have made their deeds evil. Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who lead the people astray, who cry peace when they have something to eat, but declare war against him who puts nothing into their mouths. Therefore it shall be night to you without vision and darkness to you without divination. The sun shall go down on the prophets and the day shall be black over them. The seers shall be disgraced and the diviners put to shame. They shall all cover their lips for there is no answer from God. But as for me, I am filled with power, with the spirit of the Lord and with justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgressions and to Israel his sin. Hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel who detest justice and make crooked all that is straight who build Zion with blood and Jerusalem with iniquity. Its heads give judgment for a bribe. Its price, priests teach for a price. Its prophets, prophets practice divination for money. Yet they lean on the Lord and say, Is not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster shall come upon us. Therefore, because of you, Zion shall be plowed as a field. Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins and the mountain of the house a wooded height. Let's pray. God, we thank you for giving us your words that we can join together and learn more about you and your character. We are grateful that you are a just God, unwavering your holiness, and at the same time full of grace and mercy. Thank you for being here with us today. Open our hearts and our minds as we listen to your word. Amen. Hey, Door of Hope Northeast. Uh... In case you don't recognize me, perhaps you're new around here. My name is Josh. I'm the other pastor on staff here. And before I get into the sermon for today, I thought it would be appropriate to uh, comment on the election. And right now it is 4:12 on Friday, and it looks like we will be having a President Biden, but the votes have not all been counted. So we still are waiting to see the results and whether or not there will really be a concession or if there's going to be a real recount or whether or not things will drag out. You'll know when you watch this better than I do right now as I'm speaking. Um, but, but my response is, and our response I feel like should be the same either way, and, and that is that that Jesus is the true king, he is the true ruler, um, that our confidence is in him and in his rule and in his reign and not in the powers that we have around us. And yes, it is true that the, the powers that be um, can affect changes and those changes truly do affect people. But ultimately, our confidence is not in what they are able to do, but in what Jesus does. So I, I pray for peace in our city and for peace in our nation, nation and a, a peaceful transition of power um, 
that will happen hopefully in January, regardless of who that is, or maybe there won't be a transition in power, but either way it will be, um, it will be peaceful. And I'm also praying that we, as God's, uh, as Jesus' body, both at Dorf Hope Northeast and all the church, that we would be gracious with one another because certainly not everyone is voting the same and not everyone is cheering for the same candidate. And some people will be mad and some people will be sad about the results of the election. And of course, some people will be happy too. And we should rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Um, but either way, we should always be gracious when, with one another. And um, our, our confidence and love for Jesus should, should in at least some regard relativize our, the, the amount of investment we put in into our political parties and our political leaders. I'm going to leave it there in terms of politics because what I'm really excited to talk about today is Micah. So last week, Cameron took us through chapters one and two of Micah, which uh, essentially recount that God is coming to judge his people for their sin. And chapter three, which we're in today, and hopefully you've heard someone read. If not, go ahead and pause this and have someone read it. But chapter three follows on the tales of chapters one and two, and it starts to narrow the focus down to the leaders of Judah and Israel and presents an indictment on them for their failure to protect the poor and the, um, the vulnerable. And it's not just a failure to protect them, though. It's also because they are actively taking advantage of those who are most vulnerable and most weak in their midst. And um, that, uh, that action, that sin, is what, got, is, is what has Micah's dander up about, so to speak. But before I get into the text, um, there's a little bit of historical background I think that would be helpful to mention um, as Cameron mentioned last week, Micah is preaching during the reigns of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. And you, you'll see that in chapter 1, verse 1, if you read it. What's important about that is that places, uh, that places Micah's location in history at a time when not only did you have the northern and southern kingdom that had been divided, and they had their separate capitals and their separate places of worship. But both kingdoms were facing a common crisis, and that was the empire of Assyria. Now, Assyria was taking over the world and was essentially pounding on their door and saying, your money or your life. So they had to either pay a tribute in order to, keep, in order to come under the rule of Assyria and, and pay them to continue to exist, or they had to, um, had to fight against them. And Samaria, which was the capital of the northern kingdom, eventually fell in 722. And the people were then deported into exile. But before that happens, several, maybe not several, but many people from the north saw this coming. Perhaps they had heard prophets like Isaiah up there in the north and they fled to the south for refuge. So what you have in the southern kingdom is a double crisis, uh, the one being the, 
the war with Assyria or the tribute paid, which is going to create an enormous financial burden on the society. But then you have that exacerbated by this, this huge influx of refugees from the north. So Micah is talking to this mixed audience, but he presents a common sin uh, in their leadership and a common fate for everyone. And anytime you have a uh, uh, some sort of economic downturn, it disproportionately affects the poor versus the rich. And this is what happened in 2008 with the financial crash. And that's what's going, that is what is going to happen with this whole COVID thing. Um, the wealthy are going to be able to afford to hire private tutors or put their kids in schools um, that will keep their kids financial or keep their kids education going. And the poor are going to have to decide whether or not they're, they can actually homeschool their kids or do some sort of hybrid with the public school system. Uh, the point being that those who don't have resources are going to fall behind and those who do are going to get even further ahead. That always happens in these kinds of things. My point in saying that is that that isn't the only problem that was going on, but you had people who were actively making decisions that were adversely affecting the poor. Not to say that, that that's not happening now or in any other crisis, but in their time, that's the indictment. People are making decisions. People have power, and it's and they're using their power to consolidate the, their wealth among those who are already well-to-do and taking it away from those who truly need it. So now let's enough background. Let's get into the, the actual text. Uh, the first segment of chapter 3 is verses 1 through 4, and this is an indictment against people who, who Micah calls heads or rulers. Now, now, who are these people that Micah is speaking to? They, they're unlike anything that, that we have in our culture. Uh, the best way to demonstrate who they are is, is to talk about it in terms of the problems that I just mentioned above. So, um, they have a refugee crisis. Uh, where are these refugees going to stay, and, and how long can they stay there? Are they going to have jobs or some sort of reciprocity, some sort of accountability, something that they contribute um, to society for what they are, for what they're trying to, for having their needs met? Um, who's going to feed them and how much food can we ration out to them? You also have the war crisis with Assyria. So you're going to have to levy taxes either to pay the tribute or to, uh, to, assemble an army and, and to arm up for war. So who's going to pay those taxes and how much are they going to pay? And what's going to happen if people can't pay? So the way that those decisions were made were not by some sort of democratic vote or um, some kind of council, but by essentially these judges or rulers or heads of the clans and the tribes. Now, uh, you can see by having that much power, that could easily be abused. So let's get more into that. What exactly were these rulers doing that's got, that's got Micah so upset? Um, well, the image that Micah portrays is one of essentially cattle being butchered 
he accuses these leaders of flaying the skin from the meat and the meat from the bone and cracking open these bones and sucking the marrow out. The idea being that they they gobble up every last drop, every little thing that the poor and the vulnerable have and take it for themselves. It's really a, a disgusting and disturbing image. And if you are disgusted and disturbed, you should be. That's, that's why Micah is portraying that. Um, but, but what does this mean? They're not literally doing this to the poor. So what is it that they actually are doing? Well, um, as you can imagine, let's just say um, you're wealthy and taxes are being levied to, to pay tribute. Um, is a wealthy person going to say, well, you know, I guess I should sell my home because, you know, it's my due. Uh, I have more wealth and, and so I guess I should just, I should just let it go. And, and keep it at that. Of course they're not going to do that. They're going to do what any other person is going to do. And they're going to say, how can I pay as little as possible? How can I minimize this? What loopholes can I find to keep from losing what I have? And one of the ways that they're going to do this is uh, through a bribe to one of these judges. So if I can say, hey... Um, I'll give you $10,000 and you can keep whatever you want of it and the rest can go to tribute if you say, if we call that even and then you, uh, you gather the rest of your, um, of your tax money from someone else. Uh, if they might do that and then the ruler might say, yeah, sure, okay. And then they gather their taxes from someone else. And if enough wealthy people do that, then all the taxes are really gathered from those who don't have anything to give. Um, here's another, here's another way in, in which this takes place or this takes place. So who are the, who are the victims here? Who are the people whose, whose bone marrow was being sucked out? Um, the, the poor in that time were essentially the working class sort of farmer people. That's who the real poor and vulnerable people were. And I don't, want, I don't need to get into uh, the fights over the urban versus the rural poor. This is just the way it was in their situation. So if you've ever been to Israel, you'll see that, um, that Jerusalem is on a hill. It's, it's on, well, they would call it a mountain because they've, they don't have the northwest. They don't have the mountains that we have. But it's, it, is, it, is very, um, it is very high up. From the plain, and so it's far more difficult to do agriculture on the side of a hill versus on a flat plain. So the poor farmers are out on the plains; they're doing their farming thing. But then, what happens when you see Assyria coming? The only thing that you can do is get whatever you can and take that into the city walls because they don't go all the way out to the plain; they're only on the hill. So you gather everything you can and you, you seek refuge inside those city walls. And you leave behind everything you can't carry with you. And guess what that means? That's essentially your, your cash. It comes in with your crops at one time during the year. So if you leave that behind and then the invading army comes in and they take it for themselves, you lose a year's wages except for maybe if you carried some in on your back or on your ox cart. But guess what else you lose if you're the farmer coming into the city? You lose your social capital. 
That means your connections, your people, your, your connections with other people who can do things for you. They're all fleeing into the city as well. They don't have the resources they, that they used to have. So when you go to stay somewhere, where are you going to stay? Well, you got to pay for lodging and you got to pay for food. And if your ox cart breaks down, you have to hire a mechanic because you can't go over to your brother-in-law or neighbor and say, hey, can I borrow your crescent wrench or whatever it is that you need? You can't just go over and lean on the people around you because they don't know you and they don't offer things to you free unless they're very merciful and willing to do so. But they have the choice there. They can be merciful. They can give you something that you don't necessarily deserve, or they can charge you money for it. So what happens when you lose your year's wages and you carry some straw in on your ox card and you sell that off to pay for your lodging and to pay for the taxes that are levied against you and to pay for your food? What happens when that's all gone? Well, now the lodgers can say, well, you still have the deed to that property out there, so whenever Assyria goes away, you could, you could sign that over to me of course, it's going to be for a very reduced rate because we don't know if a series is going to go away. So they sign over the last thing that they actually have, the only way that they could actually recover from this. They're forced into signing that away. And that's how they are vulnerable, certainly more vulnerable than the people who live in the city. Even if you're poor in the city, all you're really dealing with is inflation. Um, but that's what the poor people from the country who are fleeing in, they have to deal with inflation too. But if you already live in the city, you have those connections, you know those people, you're able to make things work in ways that people who are outsiders don't. So this is how the poor are being robbed of what little they have. This is how their bone marrow is being sucked out in Micah's illustration. So what is God's response to this? Well, he essentially says, when your blood-sucking orgy is ended and you're stripped of your wealth that you've acquired on your own and by stealing from others, you're not going to have anyone to help you. You didn't help the poor in their need. I'm not going to help you in yours. And that's what he says in, in verse 4. Now, that's, that's a stinging indictment, but it gets worse in verses 5 through 8, the next section. Um, which is about the prophets. Okay, now who are who are these prophets? We don't have anything like that in our time. Um, but just so you know, they're they're very powerful people. They're not part of the temple system. They're not part of the political system either. But they are nevertheless very powerful. Um, and, and just think of Elijah when you think of a prophet. Elijah had the power to say. For three and a half years, it won't rain. And it didn't rain for three and a half years. This guy called fire out of heaven and burned up an army. So if a prophet comes to you and says, hey, uh, would you take me out to dinner? Hint, hint, wink, wink. You don't dare refuse. You, you could lose your life. It's a form of extortion, really. It's like, uh, it's like the racketeers who say, hey, I've got an insurance policy for you. I heard that the fire's coming down, but you know what? You could avoid it if you just buy me dinner or whatever it is. Um, that's essentially what's happening. They're using their position 
and their authority to take advantage of the poor and the vulnerable. And we'll move quickly through the, the next few because we don't have time. But these God's response to these seers is that see they won't see. They will be blind. And they're going to lose their power and their privilege in society. And God's going to expose their shame. The, the illustration of covering the upper lip is that they'll be like somebody who has leprosy or somebody who's mourning for the dead. Um, so they're going to... They're going to lose what they have had. And in verse 8, Micah actually contrasts those prophets with himself. And he calls himself a prophet who is filled with the Spirit of the Lord. And being filled with the Spirit of the Lord, he has the courage to actually declare to God's people their sin. And so if, if you're wondering why it seems like the prophets are so filled with doom and gloom, it's actually not their fault. Remember the covenant. Uh, I mentioned this a few weeks ago. In Deuteronomy 28, the terms of the covenant are laid out, and there's blessings and curses that God says will happen to them based on how well they keep the covenant. So in order for God to be faithful to his word there, he cannot bless them when they are being unfaithful. And so when the prophets open their mouth to a rebellious people, of course, it has to be doom and gloom in order for God to be faithful to his word. So what we see in the prophets is, to, to put it in, in a more modern illustration, it would be like our social media nightmare on God's account, right? So so God's account on social media doesn't, we, we won't see pictures of, of his exotic vacation with his children and they're, they're all smiling and they're dressed all nice and they have their martinis on the beach or they're all playing golf on the, on the cruise ship somewhere in the Caribbean or they're out on a hike together. They're at the top of, um, of some mountain overlooking the Columbia River Gorge and we're like, oh, that's so wonderful and so pleasant. No, 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 no. So the prophets are portraying, really, the children th are throwing a fit. They're throwing tantrums. They're fighting with one another, beating on one another, teasing each other. And God, the Father, has to discipline and correct them. It's, it's really the ugly side of human life. But that's where real life is. That's where real problems are had and where real problems are solved. And the prophets are more concerned with actually that heart connection between God and his people than keeping the surface level things looking good to an outsider. So uh, that wraps up the, the section on the prophets. Now, the last section, verses 9 through 12, really is a, is a pulling together of all the different kinds of loot uh, of leaders, whether that's priests or prophets or judges or rulers or seers, all the, all the different names are, are used there. And Micah is essentially saying, y'all brought this on because you have perverted justice. And because you have acted this way, Jerusalem has been built with blood because people are literally perishing because of your lack of justice and integrity. 
And the consequence is going to be that Jerusalem is going to be leveled. It's going to be a heap of rubble where weeds are going to grow. And the people of that time thought that because the temple was still there and because the sacrifices were still going on and because they participated in those things, that God was still okay with what's going on. Micah is telling them, no, that's not true. Your perfunctory piety means nothing to God when the rest of your life is so filled with wickedness. So God's going to make everyone here homeless, including himself, really, because he destroys the temple. Now, of course, God is omniscient, but there's a special, he had a special place for the temple, and that's going to go away as well. Okay, so now on to, as if this hasn't been fun enough, right? Now we're on to the really fun part of like how this, how does this text speak to us today? Um, I am not a prophet and probably none of you are and, and probably none of us are judges or rulers in, in the ways that, that are laid out here in this text. But that doesn't mean that we are, that we are exempt from, uh, from learning something here in this text. And there are a couple things that I, that I just want to mention briefly. The first is that the main point in here is that they are treating human life with contempt. That's their main problem. And though we may not be cannibalizing or squeezing the life out of somebody else that we don't like, um, we do harbor this sort of resentment and contempt for for some them that's out there. And, and whether they happen to be um, Republicans or Democrats or the people who didn't vote or, um, you know, Internet trolls or your co-workers or even someone in your own family, we all have a them out there who's who's messing the world up, and who we think need to just go away. And though we, like I said, we don't cannibalize them, maybe we don't even discriminate against them, but we do snub them. At least in our hearts we do. And Jesus talks about this in Matthew 5, where he says that doing it in your heart is just as bad as doing it in reality. So I think we need to, I need to, uh, we all need to check our hearts and say, who are they in our minds and in our hearts that we are holding in contempt? And can we realize and understand that they either don't have or have strayed from the good shepherd who who when he looks at them, he has compassion on them because they are sheep without a shepherd. We should be doing likewise. The second thing I think that that can connect with us is that although we don't have prophets or priests like they did, Peter calls us all a kingdom of priests. That means that we stand before God on behalf of the world, and we stand before the world on behalf of God. We are like prophets in that we have a message from God for the world. 
very often we forget that we are likely the only person that our coworkers or the people we encounter at the grocery store, we are likely the only person who's close enough or sees God clearly enough to say what God has to say for them. How often do we actually withhold what God has to say or do we edit what God has to say just like those prophets? Now, we, we obviously aren't saying, hey, give me some money, but follow me on this. When God has a message for people that includes some news that's very offensive and very hard for people to swallow and may result in our, in our rejection by them, when we withhold or edit it so that we are not rejected, we are in fact performing a kind of exchange with them. And I will admit, I struggle with this. I want my coworkers, I want people to love and like Jesus. And I fear that if I give them the whole truth, that they won't love or like Jesus and they'll reject him. But it's also somewhere deep down in there, I know my ego's on the chopping block and they'll be rejecting me and I am scared to risk that. I am exchanging their favor, their friendship, whatever it is that they have to offer. I am exchanging that for not giving them the entirety of the message of Jesus and I need to get better at that. So with those couple of things, I'm sure you feel wonderfully guilty. <laughs> that's not my, that's not, I'm not trying to guilt you into changing. But these are ways in which the text, I think, can speak to us today. And they're challenges for us to pray through and, and lift up to God and say, empower me to change. But I want to also bring in some good news. This, this text speaks to us, not just of get your act together, but it tells us who God is. So, so what are some of those things? What's the good news that's not just for everyone out there, but for, for us right here? The first thing I, I want to point out is notice the mercy of God here. Micah talks about these rulers devouring ravenously consuming everything that the poor have. And what's God's response to that? Does he say, because you've devoured the poor, I'm going to devour you and take everything? No, God does not say that. God says, because you abandoned the poor, I'm going to abandon you. So there's mercy. God does not give them exactly as they have done to others. And we see the same thing in the prophets. The prophets have robbed the poor and cursed the poor for not giving them what they wanted, namely food in this text. Does God say, because of this, you are cursed? God does not curse them. He essentially says, you're going to lose your job. You're going to lose your prestige and you're going to suffer some public humiliation. <clears throat> I think that in this, we see God's mercy. 
And even more than that, what we see is God demonstrating what the shepherds of Micah's time should have been doing. They should have not have been saying, you owe me, give me more. But actually saying, here, you don't deserve it, but I'll keep on giving to you. Furthermore, in, later on in Micah, he's going to talk about a coming king, a shepherd, who is going to lead his people into peace and prosperity after the exile. And as we look back uh, through time, we know who that shepherd is. That's Jesus, the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. And unlike these uh, unholy and wicked shepherds of Micah's time, who are trying to get what they can out of the sheep, we see a shepherd who, who left his high and holy place. He left his place of glory and honor, surrounded by angels, in full fellowship with his Father and with the Holy Spirit. And he comes down and he becomes human and he averts God's righteous judgment against our own sin and he takes it into himself. He didn't take from us like these shepherds in order to have more for himself, but he gave all that he had for us. And and why? Why does God do this? Why does he give himself? Why does he lower himself? Why does he continuously pour out, not just for, for lost and poor and helpless sheep, but for the wicked shepherds who were devouring his sheep? Why would God do this? Well, it's because this is precisely who God is. He didn't create us in order to to get something out of us. He created us in order to give his love to us. And that is why he isn't more attracted to those pious among us who are constantly giving back to him and acknowledging how good he is to us. He doesn't love us any more than those who are taking what he gives to them and saying, that's not really from you and slapping him in the face. He loves the impious and the pious. He loves those who love him and those who oppose him. He does it because God simply loves, and it doesn't matter how unlovely we are. It's not as though God is looking down at humanity and saying, oh, they're just so wonderful and so good to one another, and and they just... They just give so much to me, I I feel like I'll give back. No, we don't do any of that. God just looks down and says, I'm going to give and give and give again. It isn't something in us that attracts him, but something in him that goes out to us to draw us back to himself and in doing actually brings with it joy and peace, and freedom, and the things that actually make us flourish. Because that's who God is. Do you feel drawn to Him now? Do you feel your heart and your mind lifted? Do you want to serve Him and want to love Him? Take the bread and the cup 
uh, that hopefully you guys have in your groups and take them as, as these signs that he's given us of that great love that he has, not only for us, but for all of creation. And then share it. Share that love. Share with your coworkers and your family or your community group or whoever you're listening uh, to this with. Share it. Share it this week. I love you guys. I hope that you are blessed by this. And um, I pray that you have a great week.